0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 9 of The Viewer's Cut. Today's episode is Composers, Scores, Themes, and More. I'm Ryan Haynes, I'll be your host today. And joining me, cue the dramatic music. You know what? Cue the comical music. Yeah, that's right. Joining me today is Mauricio Blanco. I don't like the comical music, though. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and joining across the pond, we have Adam Galloway. Hello. And Andrew Dott. Good morning. All right, guys. Well, I want you to keep your composure during this, uh, this, this episode. Ho, 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 ho. Huh? Uh,
1: uh? Oh, my.
0: <laughs> so today we'll be talking about composers, scores, themes, and more. Uh, last week we talked about the horror genre and the 60th anniversary of Psycho. And... Uh, Actually, it was a really good episode. I think you should check it out. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, I know we had a lot more to say on the subject, and we didn't talk enough about Psycho. So uh, today, I actually wanted to talk about um, what a score does to a movie, what it can add to a movie or a scene. Uh, and I want to start off with you, Dodd, because I originally I heard that Hitchcock wanted the infamous shower scene to be played without music. Uh, do you know about this?
1: I have heard that. Yes. Now I wasn't there, so I can't. I can't, you can't say. I can't for verify those facts, right? But I've heard that that's true. Yeah.
0: I just wanted your opinion on the matter. Uh, what did that extra piece of music, the the murder, I believe it was it was called, uh,
1: add to the Spoiler scene or <laughs> yeah or the score overall? I think that scene and the music in that scene is so iconic that it has become sort of the benchmark lesson for filmmakers saying, hey, look what a score can do. And by that I mean I've seen videos, I think even in school when we were doing some film studies, like showing the shower scene without the music. Or when you buy the DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever, I think they always have a bonus feature that's watch the shower scene without the music to see what it does. And it... I applaud, if it's true, I applaud Hitch's attempt to be like, oh, it would be bold and daring to not have any music, and it would have created a very different effect. And I think often um, a, a scene in a movie that's very intense will, will have no score, will have no music, musical accompaniment, and that can be really effective. However, I think as history has shown, um, that screeching violin music, I guess the likes of which had never quite been heard in a, in a Hollywood movie before really, really makes that scene to watch the shower scene without it. It's kind of clunky. It's God forbid. I'm sorry, Hitch. Don't kill me. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, I think you're safe. It's a, it's a little, (laughs) it's a little awkward. It's a little strange and it kind of falls flat. And, um, what an iconic scene, and, and imitated and copied countless times after that. The idea of the music, really, it's almost onomatopoeia, right? It's almost like the audience is tensing up. Like the sound almost reflects what we're what we're feeling in that moment. This like unbearable, high pitched. The 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 screeching mimics the stabbing of the knife. So uh, iconic for a reason, I think.
2: Yeah, um, I don't know if you said it, but uh, uh, Jaws, when they use of that, just like uh, one note with a string instrument, like, uh, well, Jaws have like two or three, that mm, kind of similar to the dun, 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 from, uh, it's just that, I, I don't know, they inject definitely like uh, some kind of uh, feeling or tension to the audience. And yeah, I I can't imagine... And I'm jumping in the uh, shower scene to be very scary even without the music but just like you describe perfectly those um, sounds from the violin almost imitate the stabbing like it gives you an idea how many stabs probably uh, she's receiving it plays with your mind in many ways and it's very unsettling you don't you don't want to hear it almost
1: well according to you know to Ryan's the fact that Ryan mentioned Credit really should go to Bernard Herrmann because if if Hitch perhaps had his way, there wouldn't have been that music. So kudos to Bernard for uh, thinking outside the box and creating probably the most iconic piece of <laughs> music score in uh, in movie history.
0: Yeah, um, I didn't know that Bernard Herrmann he did uh, Taxi Driver's score as well and Citizen Kane.
1: That was like did I see today that that was his first. Full length movie score was Citizen Kane. It was the top of the list, so I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Talk about setting the bar high there, Bernard. What a show off. He also did the original, I just want to mention quickly, Cape Fear. Really? Which um, that's an awesome theme as well that Elmer Bernstein then uh, used again in the uh, Scorsese remake. But just while we're on Bernard (laughs) Herman, if you haven't heard the soundtrack to Cape Fear, check it out.
0: Will do. I love it. Uh, and yes, Galloway, I think you mentioned this uh, last week as well. Uh, one of your favorite uh, scores from uh, John Carpenter in Halloween.
3: I believed I performed it as well.
0: <laughs> Don't do it again. <laughs> uh, actually, Very we have memorably. to perform all the uh, the compositions that we talk about today. Oh, God. Okay. So, uh, Great. Thank you, Dodd, for already <laughs> screeching for us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs>
3: The score at the beginning of The Shining is fantastic when, with the long drone shots or helicopter shots, I'm assuming then, um, are, is fantastic. It, it kind of goes like,
2: boom,
3: That boat, right? Did I get that?
2: You sound like a phone in vibration <laughs> on top of a glass <laughs> That was table. my phone. I'm just
3: getting a call from my boss.
1: <laughs> also a, a walrus. Also a walrus, yes.
3: Well, yeah, I totally agree with everything everyone's been saying. I mean, uh, Psycho is probably one of the best examples. And the movie I talked about last week, Halloween, is a great example, too, because there's not a lot going on in the movie. And the music, I think if the music's playing almost a character in a movie, then, I mean, it can be very powerful. And Mauricio mentioned Jaws. That arguably saved the movie and added most of the tension because you didn't see the shark. And same thing with, with Halloween, like when that music starts at the beginning of the movie, you're just, okay, I am in this atmosphere, this is what's going on, and then every time Michael Myers is stalking, or even if he's not on camera, you're scared. And when you, it, there's a lot of similarities with the Jaws theme and the Halloween theme, because once you hear that music, you know he's somewhere. Right,
0: right. So it's attached to Michael all the time? Like, I actually didn't realize that. Uh, so, like, whenever, like, uh, there's the point of view of, like, his, him stalking, it's always kind of, like, there?
3: They're Kind of. It's not the exact same as Jaws, but they're, like, when he, there's some, at the very beginning, he's just doing a lot of stalking. He That's what I mean. It's not a full-blown slasher movie by any means. A lot. There's a lot of him just driving and lurking and stalking uh, before it gets to nighttime and then the whole third act. And most of the second act is at night. But the beginning, he's just driving. Like, there's a great scene when uh, a bunch of kids are bullying uh, another kid. And then the one kid runs. And he just comes right to the camera. And then Michael off-camera grabs him. And the music kicks in. And it's just like, oh, shit. It's just like, holy shit. And then the music just (laughs) plays. And Michael walks, just staring at the, the other kid that's walking away that he eventually uh, interacts with later in the movie. So it's just all in the music because there's not a lot going on. It's a movie from the Mm seventies. There's just not a lot. It's not a high budget movie. There's not much going on. It's just this music that's eerie. And then this character that signifies the character's presence and it's evil. Same thing with Jaws. The Jaws music is terror. It's literally representing something coming to kill you. Same thing as Halloween. Right. There is something going on and it's just, it's great. And music's a little bit different now than it was, but the seventy, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s have so many memorable um, scores. And we're going to obviously talk about it later, a bunch of the composers that did all of them, but there are so many examples. And I, I, yeah, Halloween's a perfect example of music in a movie making a huge impact.
1: The Halloween theme is, is now that you guys mentioned it, is sort of the, quote, stalking theme. Yes. Right, it's always played when he's falling. Yes,
3: and him. one of the score's names, I believe, is the Shape Stalks.
1: <laughs> I mean, because uh-huh. it's not—it's not played later when he's when he's like actually attacking. Oh, them. there's there—that's the thing. Things. A
3: lot of people think Halloween; they think of the main theme. There are there's so much music in that. There's the bump, bump, but um, bump when he's when he's stalking Laurie. Yeah. And, like it's great, like John Carpenter doesn't a lot of people think of John carpenter's movies and he's a director and that's great he's got some great movies but he composes all of them and like you said last week as well the best part of the new one was the fact that he came back and recorded the music
0: wow so yeah the, the stalker theme is a great uh, narrative device um, what other like scores have been like iconic to like help a narrative like convey its message and like tell you how it, how to feel I, it was just out of curiosity like I was just uh, trying to figure
2: out some... Um, composers and some uh, scores, and then I realized from day one, probably day two after uh, the train getting to the station, but when we see movies starting to become uh, art form there was no dialogue of course for the longest time, but all those movies when they delivered to a movie theater, they would come along with a composition or something to play in piano or for an orchestra or, or a small orchestra to play while it was being projected it's funny how people will go to the theater, will watch a movie that has no dialogue. You won't, you won't hear the actors speak. You would only read it, but still there was the presence of music to help you go through and uh, uh, trigger an emotion. Maybe a love scene. It would be a sweet, uh, slow violin for a moment of um, excitement. It would be a more pompous, everything over the top kind of kind of music. So it's curious how the scores are basically as necessary for a movie as the image itself. Because if not, it doesn't help you to get involved or feel a little bit extra than beyond what the image is, is showing. So yeah, the, I, it's curious. I don't know what you guys think that it's been around more than dialogue. So music, again, is more important.
1: I want to ask you a question. Well, I want to ask a question that anyone might know the answer to and and it's a, going to be a two-part question on that topic. Mm-hmm. Before movies, the closest the closest art form, I mean, it still exists, but before movies existed, the thing that I think sort of led into movies was um, stage. Yes. Right? So seeing a, and that uh, as an art form has been around for thousands of years, right? The ancient Greeks loved their their theater. Um Does anybody know if traditionally theater plays, performances, Shakespeare, what have you, were these things, did they have an an orchestral accompaniment? Did they have music along with them? Or when you saw Shakespeare in London in 16-whatever, was it just the dialogue? Does anybody know?
2: Um, I'm probably going to say something that is not fully right, but I I have the idea that there was, they were, it was a music that was throughout the entire uh, play, but I think they will open with music, like live orchestra would perform a song and then they will open the uh, the curtains and the whole thing uh, started. And back in the ancient Greek, they have like playing an harp on a side or uh, something like that. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think for the Shakespeare per se, uh, they would open with music and then they would, close with it i don't think it was a permanent like a throughout the entire play
1: like but obviously an opera always had the yeah, yeah, yeah music yeah. and like you said the ancient greeks they would have had a chorus right they would right. have had a, a group of people who would sort of chant or sing uh some of the narrative at the audience and i and i ask because I you guys have brought up a question i've never thought of before why do we need it when we're watching a movie like when you look at a, um, a painting. You don't need to have someone sitting beside the painting playing the violin. That would help. Like maybe it would, right? But but that's an art form that we go. We're not we're not going to tell you how to feel. Yeah, you're just going to observe the art or a sculpture or what have you, and you're going to feel whatever it is you want to feel. But when it comes to movies, and I was wondering if um, that's why I was wondering if if theater before that. You're absolutely right. The filmmakers tell you how to feel. Mm -hmm. And the music can dramatically change the atmosphere of a scene, depending on what that music's doing. So that's a great question. Why is it that audiences can't just sit and interpret what's happening on the screen? Like is, is film somehow limiting that without music, the audience would be like, I'm not engaged. Like I can't emotionally connect unless The filmmaker is saying, be scared now or be happy now. Like, I wonder what would happen. Have you guys ever seen a movie without music at all? Castaway
3: uh, doesn't have uh, an original score or anything for almost the entire movie. The first score kicks in right when he's leaving the island. I have to double check that, but there's no music until the end of the movie. The, The first act and the second act, there's nothing. It's all just him on the island and obviously the stuff at the beginning, which I thought was an interesting um decision for that movie and and it makes sense because it's just him on the island by himself why do you want music playing it's just him and his emotions and dealing with his issue i think if my memory serves me i could be wrong but i think the first music kicks in when he's leaving the island and he's looking back he just gets through all the waves and he gets past that point he's floating away and he looks back at the island i believe that is when the first score kicks in uh for castaway i think
2: what about when he sings light my
1: fire (laughs) it's curious i was gonna ask about castaway and i've only seen it the one time like i'd be curious to know if you know we were able to conduct like um what are they called uh like focus groups and see hey audience did multiple people interpret what was happening in different ways Mm. like when when tom hanks is on the island and there's no music Uh, Do you think the scene was a triumph or do you think this was a failure? And I'd be curious to know if without music we get a bunch of personal uh, opinions. But yeah, for something like Castaway, when there is a story being told without music, I'd be very curious to know if if, um, it has different effects on people. I'm surprised more filmmakers don't do that. No music and just let the audience interpret it.
3: I confirm. So aside from the Russian chorus and the Elvis Presley song from the beginning, there is not a, there is not one single note of written musical score in the film until Nolan leaves the island an hour and 43 minutes into the movie.
2: Wow. You can find on YouTube a lot of experiments that people do when they take away one piece of music and they put another one in a scene and you can tell how the mood changed drastically. And it's not, it's not film, but... Uh, some funny videos out there is that, for example, for some sitcoms, they take away the laugh track that in a way is kind of a, a score that helps people to know when to laugh for when something is emotional, something is shocking. And they take away those. And sadly, some of the jokes or moments, they go from funny to a little bit like twisted or weird or they're not funny at all and you're like wow what what this person is saying that it was laughable before now it's very depressing mm. or it's yeah. too real to actually laugh about it but when you put the laugh on top you're like ha 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 it's okay nothing bad's happening he's actually not that depressed and like, i think my oh. favorite
0: example is the ross being a psycho yes from, from friends. friends it's just yeah, like without the laugh track <laughs> He is, like, he's just completely a whack job.
2: Yeah, or everything that happens to PV in France is actually very depressing. Right. And it's like, oh, she's been through a lot. But there's laugh on top, so let's laugh. And I, <laughs> of course, that's more like, uh, right, like, spoon right into your mouth, like, <laughs> be happy. But uh, it's interesting experiments that you can find online. And I uh, encourage people to go and give it a try because it's very peculiar, very unique.
3: Just before we jump over, I just wanted to share one quick story. I promise it won't take long. Just it goes along with music and triggering emotions and movies and all that. I promise I'll be very quick. <laughs> take Go your
1: time. time. I guess no.
3: Just just <laughs> because I did I I did a little bit of an experiment once when I went to the movies. So we talked about it in our first episode, the re-release of Titanic, uh, whenever it was. Uh, at, I I don't remember. I didn't look it up. 2012, 13, or fourteen, whenever it was. I was very curious because I I'm very. Um, Interested in the the idea of, of music triggering emotions and making people, you know, react. And when I was in the theater, uh, spoilers for Titanic as well, uh, Jack dies at the end. <laughs> it's both uh, but it seems. There you go. I was very curious because it's it, I wanted to know when people started crying, and I I I believed that it was when James Horner's um, music cues in. And so when I was in the theater at that scene was coming up, I closed my eyes and you have the sequence when Rose wakes up, she's singing that song on her back and then she hears the um, the rowboat and she turns around and she tries to wake Jack up. And for all these people, they know he's dead. Everyone knows he's gone, but no one was really crying. I was really trying to listen for the sniffles and when people started breaking down and the scene plays out, she's trying to wake him up. She's like, Jack, Jack, there's a boat, Jack. And then right when the music starts, it just kind of comes in. I'll, I'm going to give you a little bit of taste of it, of course, because because that's what I do. But you're, she's just trying to wake him up. And then all you hear is. And then the beautiful piece of music comes a in. Giant,
1: a giant bee attacks them. <laughs> the, mu-
3: the music subtly kicks in and it's a beautiful score. And that is when everyone lost their minds, and everyone in the theater was crying. And I'm like, and I opened my eyes. I was the person I was with. I was like, I I was not sad because I was doing this little experiment. I'm like, that's it. Right when the music starts, I've always said that's when it signifies Jack is gone and he's not coming back. It you don't believe it until the music's playing, and then you're done. You're crying. He's gone, and then the then that goes so that was my little experiment i did i was very curious I, that's just one example i could think of but I, I just always thought that because you almost don't want to believe it everyone loves jack dawson and they don't want, they want them to okay. be together forever and i wanted he, to believe it yeah
0: <laughs> to answer your question from earlier dodd has anyone seen a film uh without music uh, this just reminds me of something uh my dad pulled out like a bunch of like old film reels and like so it was just like a bunch of like 15 minute like laurel and hardy films and stuff and he would actually project them in the garage you had the best childhood i've ever heard (laughs) cool (laughs) yeah Yeah. and it's it is a weird experience because you're just watching and all you can hear is the the reel of the (laughs)
2: I, the bees
0: back <laughs> get away <laughs> ah! the bumblebee
3: that's damn bee
1: <laughs>
0: not the bee and you know what you still get into the story like you, you kind of get lulled by that uh, that film noise the the projector noise yeah. so i don't know uh, i'm not sure if that really fits uh, we we kind of parted ways from that topic but no i don't think so yeah. i i think
1: it does i think your point was uh, the the visuals and the performances still resonate with you. You still have an emotional connection to it yeah. without an additional element being like, be happy now, be sad now, Jack's dying, even though Leonardo DiCaprio is annoying. <laughs> be sad, Jack's dying. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and even without the motion picture, when you watch a photograph, when you watch a picture, you still get some kind of emotion depending on what is happening there. If you see someone that is from your family, you might get, a, I don't know, some you will feel melancholic or you will feel happy because it's a happy memory or even if it's someone doesn't relate to you at all when you see pictures of people in a concert or pictures of uh, uh, social rights back in the day like you you still get an emotion out of it you get a feeling of what was happening there without uh, a score telling you or without the the photograph actually being a motion picture that it 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 helps you to understand more what the characters are going through. So images by itself, yes, they they say an image can say more than 1,000 words. Um, I guess just an art form and an evolution, the music definitely. They realize, like, as a filmmaker, as a creator, you're like, when I make something, like a painter or anybody who creates art, they want to uh, generate a reaction on people. And filmmakers realize, like, oh, what I want to say... It's actually going to be stronger it's like if I hit them with this score, if I hit them with this music and tell them, oh, you thought what you are looking at is sad? Oh, it's way sadder than that. Yes, Jack Dawson, it's a piece of trash. But look how beautiful face is frozen in the ice and Stop it's dying. Stop hating on Jack Dawson. <laughs> Jesus. I mean... I just I mean, want to punch him. I mean, he... i going to punch him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Think yeah. about who
3: she left, who she was married to at the beginning of a movie. He was even way worse. I don't know, man. Billy
2: he's kind of funky. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I think as an art form, it evolved and the creators... <laughs> he's a
1: good guy, that Billy Zane.
2: Yeah. Yeah, as, I think as an art form, it evolved and the creators developed tools and techniques to trigger people even more and make their product even more attractive. And I think music was a perfect way to deliver the message in a very underlying, very sneaky way, if so. Very sneaky. Yeah. And you see a lot and how big the impact of music was in the era of propaganda films. During the war, before starting a movie, they would show a piece of propaganda telling how the war is going, we're winning, we're the good guys, yada, yada, yada. And that pompous... I don't know, super exciting music would just make people just, you know, jump out of their seats and just uh, celebrate whatever was happening. The music played a huge impact in that way. And I think the propaganda in film showed they knew that music was a big, big thing to have in consideration because it could take what looks like a bad news, like, hey, war, people are dying, to turn it into a, a, I don't know, an excitement celebratory kind of thing like we are the winners we are the ones on top of the world definitely right on your face and telling people how to feel what to feel and at what specific time
1: well said it's kind of annoying it's overbearing
2: very it's very annoying it's it's basically like it's a, a yes yeah, like a psychiatrist i know you very well and he can make you do things uh filmmakers are uh psychologists are uh, sociologists basically and they know what is going to impact and how and um maybe they are without knowing it but it's, it's an art form to uh, manipulate people's mind or feelings. So, yeah, it's annoying when you realize, like, oh, they're just telling me what to feel. But at the moment, when you're sitting there, you are you just go with it.
1: I hate music now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I hate when Jack dies. I'm never watching a movie again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with all these uh, experiments of, like, watching movies uh, with your eyes closed and just kind of, like, listening, uh, I was just wondering, do you guys listen to movie scores outside of the movie, like, uh, you know, on Spotify, um uh, and uh, why? 100% yes. 100% yes? Yes.
3: Yeah, absolutely. For uh, sure.
0: Can you actually like visualize the whole movie while you're like listening to the score, or do you like listen for other reasons?
3: I, I can do both. Uh, a major one for me, uh, I mean, I can't really talk about you know music scores without talking about all the countless great Rocky scores in all of the movies. But exercising and working out to Rocky music is fantastic you can visualize moments uh, in each training montage whatever movie it might be from and it just gets i mean talking about triggering emotion like if i I can't think of in my personal opinion if you want to exercise you want to work out you want to get pumped you want to feel good feel strong there's nothing better than putting on one piece of rocky music i mean whether it's the main the main theme or anything else going the distance or all the other montage like it's it, that just works well for me. And I know a lot of people that use it for, for working out and stuff. There's there's just nothing better. So I can do both. I can put myself in my own mindset of what I'm doing. Or I can visualize you know, him running up the mountain in Rocky IV, ro- running up the steps in, in the first two Rocky movies, or whatever it might be. There's so much stuff that happens. But I, I'd i say it's a little bit of both. I, and that's just the only example I can think of. But there's lots of other stuff, too. I, I love musical scores.
0: Galloway, you listen to... Rocky music while you work out. Uh, do you guys like listen to music while you study? Is like movie soundtracks, is it trying to like be a substitute uh, or like the, the movie soundtrack of your life?
1: Is that what you use it for? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I would say if, so. And I even, I have different, <laughs> oh God, I can't believe I'm saying this. I have different, like I associate certain movies with certain types of the year. I don't know if anyone else does that. I get it. It's definitely movies for me that are like summer movies. or Yeah, for sure. This, this one's a fall movie or whatever. And um, sometimes that that movie soundtrack can become like the soundtrack to that time of the year.
2: Yes. How's
1: that? That's weird, eh? What about that?
2: Uh, It's a seasonal soundtrack you have it's it's fine. I do the I do the same I'm not gonna be listening to the soundtrack of I don't know a Christmas movie in the middle of the summer because one I'm gonna feel sad that it's not Christmas and two I'm gonna be gonna feel out of place just weird.
3: The Home Alone score definitely defines Christmas. I, christmas I would yeah. never listen yeah. to that mid july in this middle in the <laughs> middle of this heat wave i'm not going to throw on the home alone sc- original
0: score by john williams hey you might get a chill it might actually
1: help psychologically Ooh. yeah Ooh.
3: Ooh. or maybe burglars will show up at my place
1: Who knows? wet bandits uh, <laughs> a new sort of spring like the soundtrack i discovered was um i watched dr shivago
0: oh, oh wow and uh
1: yeah, that's Thrill. one of my. I'm just gonna. Um, I'm just
2: gonna plug that in. That's one of my mom's favorite films. Why I don't know, but she she loved that movie.
1: It's beautifully beautifully shot, and uh, from that soundtrack, everybody knows uh, Lara's theme. That's the sort of uh, it was like the hit single from Doctor shivago Andy Williams would sing like uh, a lyrical version of it, but there's a, a main theme that plays over the opening credits that mm. is uh, gorgeous it's awesome and I um, I listened to that a lot after I watched the movie this year it's yeah. a great mood setter
0: yeah every time I go for a jog I listen to Chariots of Fire and I just do it slow motion uh-huh. around the block <laughs> and everyone just stares at me like what the hell are you doing yeah he takes a is while to leave the tell. house
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a joke <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one that I used to listen to a lot like honestly I had not repeat guess what Howard Shore Lord of the Rings amazing Oh god here we go ding 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 somebody somebody ring the Lord of the Ring bell uh, it's back um ding, 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 ding. yep and it's just it's uh, again it's a fantastic uh, movie of course and the the score has everything from the slow, you know, orchestra violin thing to the over the top uh hero kind of music, but also had the this dark, very scary uh, scores in it. And I think had I, I think it had a little bit of everything and yes, it's one of those um uh albums if so that I can listen through from beginning to end and I'm picturing the uh the movie in my head clearly.
3: When we were at the, um, when I I brought uh, Daw to uh, to Philly, uh, we went to a couple years ago, and when we went to the steps, I gave him, uh, or I think I had headphones and he didn't. And I told him, I'm like, you're here, you have to listen to the music and you have to run up the steps, and he did it, and like I, I've obviously done it too. Like there's nothing better than like it's so, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just. Unbelievable when you are listening to the music and you're doing what Stallone or Rocky did and you're there, The it's just, it, it's amazing. And I'm glad he did it because there's nothing, you know, for any Rocky fan, I mean, that's the, that's the pinnacle is, is running up the steps with the music. It, you, you feel like you're at your absolute best. You can do anything. You just run to the top of the steps. All 72 steps.
1: Changed my life. Yeah,
0: he's, does, does he's a different changing. person now. Uh, <laughs> he can't walk upstairs without the music. Yeah. yeah he yeah. can
2: go th- He can go downstairs, but going up is a problem. <laughs> he's like a cow. He can go downstairs, but he can go up. Um, no, but it's funny, that story, because I had a similar situation. Like, one of my favorite films, that again, that we talk about, like, um, Call Me By Your Name, there's a scene when they're walking around this European uh, city. And he, f- they find themselves almost at the end of the movie in front of a church. And there's someone playing music in their car. And they just start completely wasted dancing. Uh, Oliver started dancing in front of the church with this girl. So I was in my first time in Spain. And I was with a couple of friends waiting for uh, to take the bus. And I turned, uh, look back, and I saw this old church just hidden in a corner everything was dark, there was nothing uh, particular to it but it was this old probably I don't know how many centuries old uh, church and I just asked my friend if I could borrow his phone because I didn't have my data or anything And I I was a little wasted and uh, I took his phone and I found the same piece of music they danced to uh, in uh, Call Me By Your Name in front of the old church in um, Italy and I did the same, but in Spain. And I just play the music and start dancing like a maniac in front of the church, having a, a blast. It was a, the, one of the highlights of my trip until I turn and I see my friend and his wife just staring at me like, what in the name is happening? But uh, <laughs> it was that little Someone moment. Someone was
3: totally recording you, Mauricio. I hope so, because <laughs> I,
2: I barely remember. Uh, There's
3: video proof of, the, of you out there. I really <laughs> okay. I really
2: hope so. I hope people are having fun with it and bring some happiness. Uh, you were the original TikToker. I was the original TikToker, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> That's a nightmare to think about. But uh, yeah, just like your Rocky moment, that was my Call Me By Your Name moment. Uh, just dancing in front of the, the church with their soundtrack. So the soundtrack definitely I uh, brought it with me and created an impact. So we share that kind of little moment where we let the, the movie slip into our life
3: it's great you can't it's not an everyday thing no. and like it's it's you i think it just it shows how much music and movies mean to us that all these moments mean something to us doing it not, not a lot of people care and would do any of this stuff but mm-hmm. obviously it's had an impact on us and i love it it's great like it makes you feel really good yeah
1: and when i when i went into space <laughs> <this> <laughs>
2: But that's for another episode Dot in space (laughs) Dot in space
0: (laughs) space. One of the main reasons we're doing today's topic For this podcast is because uh, Ennio Morricone Recently passed on July 6, 2020 And uh, he was a um, He was a film composer That had an unbelievable uh, resume For uh, cinema Uh, He was nominated for six Academy Awards and won one for the Hateful Eight Um and also, um he also composed one of your favorite films, Mauricio mm. um cinema Paradiso. Yes, so I was just hoping you could maybe talk about that film uh what the score may- means to it, what it's enhanced and and then throw it over to everyone and uh see if they have any uh favorite uh Maricone. yeah um like real quick him
2: as an uh, it's funny that him as an Italian uh, composer, like some of his most famous um scores belong to spaghetti westerns mostly like a lot of cleanies Would you have the good the bad and the ugly once upon a time in the west uh fistful of dollars and then you have other stuff like once upon a time in america and more modern uh western which is safe late you have things like the thing for mm-hmm. example and uh yeah, then there is uh, cinema paradiso which Again, I I named all my favorite films today. Lord of the Rings, uh, Call Me By Your Name, and Cinema Paradiso. That's funny. Ah, look how that worked out. Hey. (laughs) It must be the music. (laughs) Oh, what a time to be alive. Um, But, um, yes, it's definitely that that the music in that film still has an impact uh, on me, a very deep impact. At the moment I heard about him passing, uh, immediately, I don't know, I felt the, the urgency to listen to the soundtrack of Cinema Paradiso, maybe to uh, uh, reassure myself of how great this music was. And at the moment I heard the this song called The Love Song, and which is the main theme of the movie, you would say, it, it, it immediately made me cry. <laughs> so it was just me having my morning coffee in the balcony, and I just started crying like a baby. Because not only by the sad thought of him passing, but also because that movie does that. It makes it really hits you on the spot. And his music for that film was so meaningful and when you compare with his work from uh, the Westerns that I just named, they're a little bit more like, we know the famous and classic. <laughs> that, I was going to suggest, I wanted everyone to, to do that. Well, Thank I'm not going to do it because we learn it's a mistake. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, definitely, definitely it's, a, it's kind of a change of, uh, on the pace. And again, in an Italian film, and he definitely took a lot of uh, influence on Italian music and his his childhood, his surroundings. And uh, the music itself evolved from... Because the music goes... It's like the time passing in a town, and the main character specifically. And even the music uh, changes, increases in instruments that jump in uh, while the character is growing up. So it's like it's more basic when he's uh, young, still like a violin and a couple other instruments jumping in. But as he grows and as things still happen, uh, it gets more pompous. It increases, almost like the song um, becomes more mature as the character does. So it's it's not only just the music to be present and uh, trigger your emotions, but it's also to walk you through the passing of time and walk you through the evolution of the character itself. So I think that's remarkable that he's not just composing music just to put music on top, but he's also composing music to tell the story himself. And I think he was a master on that. And uh, he has phenomenal pieces that are, some of them you can say, very simple but impactful, like, uh, again, many of them in Western. And he's highly respected in, uh, in Italy. So, yeah, he's definitely one of the most special, one of the the composers for me that shows um, a lot of heart in what he does, a lot of personal, he put a lot of his personal life in it um, in a very subtle way. It's, even though some songs are pompous and very Hollywood-like, like like a John Williams or Howard Shore uh, or a Danny Elfman, he makes it feel like it's uh, somebody, like you're in, I don't know, you're in a house in Italy and you walk in the morning into a living room and there, someone's listening to the radio and that's the music they're hearing. It feels very hummy, very warm and I I, I really love that about him and you can, if you want to hear that kind of music, I definitely think Cinema Paradiso has the best example and again, if I still listen to it and I still cry like a baby because it brings back the movie but also in inside it carries the, the feelings. I think the music in that movie was more, I don't know. It was more in your face than the script itself. And I'm not saying in your faces as a bad way. I'm saying like most of the feelings were carried by the music that was melancholic and everything that one you were seeing on screen. So I think that's, that's amazing. It almost feels like he co-directed the film. himself so throughout the music. So, Mm. um, so yeah, uh, very sad that he passed but he lived a fulfilling life and he did a lot for cinema
3: yeah i was just looking at his imdb and i know you mentioned the thing mauricio which i had no idea that he did the the score for um the thing which was great but i just pulled up one here that uh, interested me a lot he did the score for the untouchables in 1987 which is a beautiful score i love that movie and he really like obviously like you said he's known for the spaghetti westerns and, and and all that kind of stuff but it's nice that to see that he he branched out a little bit. i was even looking he did the exorcist too. um so like it looks like he <laughs> did, yeah. I, I, again i don't know much about him so i don't want to speak very long but just quickly running through his imdb here like he's he's touched on like every genre 519 credits as a
1: composer
2: <laughs> so uh grazie Enio.
1: I didn't think anyone else would mention it, but Adam, you did. And that's um, The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, which is far from a beloved movie. It's somewhat beloved at how bad it is. Um, But he composed the score for that. And if you want perhaps a hidden gem of a great Ennio Morricone score, check out uh, *Reagan's theme from The Exorcist 2. It's beautiful. I will it's, definitely check that it's out. It's haunting, and uh, it's gorgeous, and it's uh, it elevates that movie to st- still not very high, but it elevates it.
0: Let's talk about some other uh, great composers. Um, so every hero and every villain needs a great theme. So let's talk about, I'm not sure if this is a title, but I'm going to say he's the king of themes, uh, Mr. John Williams. Uh, Galloway. Um, we've already talked about the Jaws main theme, but... Um,
3: I knew we were going to bring up John Williams and I thought it'd actually be good. Like everyone knows all his great scores with Steven Spielberg. He's had 28 collaborations with him. We all know Jurassic Park and Indiana Jones and uh, all, I mean, E.T. Mauricio mentioned earlier. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting just to name off a few outside of Steven Spielberg because there's a lot. I'm just going to quickly run through some of my favorites and then I'm sure Andrew will have some thoughts too, but he was involved a lot in the early disaster movies. He did the Poseidon Adventure and uh Earthquake and The Towering Inferno, which are all fantastic scores. And um he did um and uh, this is probably a good segue to Mr. Dodd. Um he did the uh, original Superman score, which is arguably his greatest score. Like it's fantastic and he, I mean, he was in the height of, you know, following Jaws and Star Wars. And can you just imagine, he he does the score for Star Wars. He wins an Academy Award. He's got five. Like, the guy's ridiculous. He's, uh, like, almost everything he's, he scores is, is fantastic. And then he follows Star Wars with the Superman score, <laughs> which is unbelievable. So, like, I'm just going through here. Like, there, there's so much stuff. He also did... Um, Home Alone, like I mentioned earlier, which is a fantastic original score as well. And um, one of my personal favorites, and this is the last one I'm going to mention, I, I just because I think it's kind of out of the ordinary. He did the score for the 1998 film Stepmom with Julia Roberts and um, Susan Sarandon, which is one of me and, uh, Jamie and I's favorite um, movies. And it's just a subtle little, not huge, not a big blockbuster, just a nice, simple score that Triggers emotions, it's a sad movie, and he's just brilliant at that.
1: Well, you didn't, you didn't leave much to say. Um, <laughs> for sure, as, as far as themes go, uh, there's lots of videos about Star Wars and about John Williams, and what's interesting is that um, those iconic Star Wars themes aren't always tied to a character. Um, so, for instance, they, they, they attempted to be, but they grew bigger than themselves, and none of these are my original ideas. So if someone's out there listening that they made a video of, credit to you. Um, but like the Star Wars theme, again, I'll hum just like a, a little bit of it so people know what I'm talking about, but it's, we definitely don't own any of this music, but the uh, just okay, that's enough. You know what I mean? That I think was written as Luke Skywalker's theme and... What's now commonly referred to as the quote, "force theme, which is, da, na, 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 was originally, I think, supposed to be Ben's theme. So they were themes and motifs, like Leia has a very clear theme that's meant for her. They were supposed to be tied to characters, and then they just got so big, especially because um, John Williams originally composed a different piece of music for when Luke Skywalker is watching the Binary Sunset, probably the most iconic scene in all of Star Wars, John Williams scored something different, which was kind of foreboding, and apparently Lucas said, no, 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 that, that music that you had when we see Ben, put that there. And that recontextualized that piece of music in Star Wars to now go from just Ben's theme to, like, the Force theme. Which still worked for tying it to Ben, because Ben was our only character who knew about the Force in, uh, at that point in A New Hope. Um, so it's interesting how they, they started being very tied to an individual, and then he had to sort of adapt these things as the movies went on to being even the Imperial March. It's not called Darth Vader's theme, it's called the Imperial March. It's supposed to be about the Empire, but we've tied it directly to Darth Vader. Um, to the point when, spoilers I guess, when Darth Vader dies in Return of the Jedi, we hear um, a subdued version of that music as he's dying, as if that's his theme. So, um, it's, it's, it's interesting when he works with characters' themes and when he just works with um, themes for something in a movie. Obviously, the Indiana Jones theme is tied directly to that character. The Superman theme tied directly to Superman himself yeah i like like what adam said i could go on forever about john williams but it's it's all been said a million times what i do want to say really quickly about john williams and it doesn't tie into themes i some of my favorite stuff from his soundtracks or his scores rather aren't necessarily the main themes so i Raiders of the lost ark is one of my favorite movie scores but i don't think of that when i when i think of it I think of like um, the arcs theme, you know, Uh, the arc, like a character gets its own theme in that movie. Or when I think of E.T., one of my other of his, uh, my favorite scores of his, there's a track early on called, I think, Far From Home. And it's it's just E.T. walking around the forest at the beginning. And he looks up at these really tall trees and this absolutely heartbreaking, gorgeous music plays over that scene and talk about setting a mood like it could just be et looking at trees like who cares but it it creates such a sense of like uh et's lost and isolated on this on this planet he's out of his element it plays again later when he's sick uh when ET's sick in the bathroom mauricio's favorite scene terrifying <laughs> yeah <laughs> it plays when the mom first sees et on the on the ground and it's it's awesome So I love John Williams. I don't always love him for his most iconic stuff. The really good stuff is uh, embedded into the soundtrack. Two, you would only hear it when you're listening to the entire soundtrack to tie back to your question earlier, Ryan, about listening to movie scores. Just walk around and play the entire soundtrack and you'll find really good stuff. Amazing. Love it. Love it. All
0: right, well, if that's enough for John Williams, uh, let's uh, just name off some honorable mentions if you guys have anything you want to say before we wrap up.
1: I have a huge list, and and honest to God, I just this morning sat down and started typing, and they just came. So big names, sort of classic composer names that uh, we have to mention. Bernard Herrmann we did. Alan Silvestri. Um, Elmer Bernstein uh, is fantastic. Maurice Jarre, I mentioned Dr. Javago earlier. Um, more obscure ones that I think are great that don't get a lot of attention are Patrick Doyle. He works with uh, Kenneth Branagh a lot. Um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is not a popular movie with Robert De Niro and Kenneth Branagh. The soundtrack is awesome by Patrick Doyle. Christopher Young doesn't get a lot of attention. He did like Spider-Man 3, which I think is better score than the other two. He did a terrible sequel, The Fly 2. He did the score to that, but the music is gorgeous. And uh, he did Hellraiser, which is an awesome, awesome theme. Basil, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, May he rest in peace. Basil Polidorus, I think, worked with um, Paul Verhoeven a lot. He did RoboCop, uh, Conan the Barbarian. That's uh, those are great, great themes. Um, Johnny Greenwood did There Will Be Blood. That was awesome. Clint Mansell did Record Room for a Dream. Philip Glass is a classical composer. He does some movies too. He did Errol. He does Errol Morris documentaries. So if you guys remember the score to uh, The Thin Blue Line, yeah, or Fog of War. Yes, uh, that's Philip Glass. He does awesome, like meditative. He, oh, he did Coyanaskatsi, so oh, that's very I, some iconic, some iconic mu- uh, music there. He does a lot. I, I study to Philip Glass music because it's repetitive and it's sort of uh, meditative and hypnotic in a way. But the guy I have to mention, if if not if John Williams is the king of scores, then this guy is a close second. Adam uh, knows who I'm going to say. It's Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, uh, baby. Maybe rest in peace. I'll just quickly name off some of his big movies. Uh, The Mummy, the 1999 one. L.A. Confidential, Basic Instinct, Total Recall, the first three movies in the Rambo uh, First Blood series, Gremlins and Gremlins 2, Psycho 2, Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2, The Omen and The Omen 2, Alien, Chinatown, and my personal favorite, Star Trek The Motion Picture. That's one of my top three scores. Uh, it's great. So big shout out to Jerry Goldsmith. He's kind of forgotten, but he was like with John Williams, uh, the soundtrack of the eighties. So there you go. That's my extensive list.
3: Whenever Dodd and I are watching, uh, eighties movies where his name just pops up and we're like, oh, it's Jerry Goldsmith again. There he is. (laughs) There he is.
1: Can't get away from him. (laughs) So yeah, I just have
3: a few people I want to mention. Dodd obviously just named off a few. I'm also a big fan of Jerry Goldsmith as well. Um, I just wanted to quickly mention, uh, along with the Rocky theme for for Bill Conti, uh, the Karate Kid score is great. Bill Conti has a lot of great stuff. He also did a James Bond movie, uh, For Your Eyes Only. Uh, and uh, I think it was the only one that he did. I haven't seen it. Uh, Dodd, is the score good And For Your Eyes Only?
1: Unforgettable. No, I don't know. I don't even I don't... <laughs> 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 But
3: But, um, yes, one I quickly want to just touch on and list off a few movies that I really like is... Um, James Newton Howard. I'm a big fan of his. He's an eight-time, I believe, Oscar nominee. He's had a few collaborations. He's worked with Hans Zimmer. I, I believe he did uh, with Hans Zimmer the first two Batman movies in the Nolan uh, trilogy, but just a few to name off that I love. Uh, he worked a lot with M. Night, uh, uh, I think, earlier. I don't know if he did all of his movies, but the Unbreakable and the Sixth Sense score are Fantastic um very moody and atmospheric and great stuff unbreakable is my personal favorite i love it uh but just to keep naming off a few that he did uh he go he did king kong um he did blood diamond and he did charlie wilson's war there it is nightcrawler he did the score in nightcrawler which is a fantastic movie i love we talked about it a few times but it's just a great again mood atmospheric he's got a he's more pigeonholed in a specific genre He's done. He a lot of his best work is all within the same kind of stuff. But I think he's brilliant. He doesn't get mentioned a lot. And he also did the Hunger Games. It says here and a few other stuff. But that was just one I wanted to mention. I think he's good. Um, he's been around. He's done lots of cool stuff that I like. So just wanted to mention him.
0: Wow. Uh, you guys had a huge list. Uh, <laughs> I feel so bad because uh, you named off so many great composers, which I probably know some of their themes and and uh, and works. But I just don't know them by name and i really feel bad about that um and i think that's kind of how music is in films it's kind of underlooked and not appreciated enough so thank you guys for uh throwing in your your two cents and uh giving uh, a great uh nod to these great composers which are very underlooked and a final shout
2: out because we've been watching a lot of um uh, ghibli studios movies lately to joe uh, hisaishi which is the one who's been doing the score for all those films or the majority of those films so phenomenal work and uh, again a japanese composer that has been doing a lot but uh, it's just lost in the list
0: lost in the list all right gentlemen if you don't have anything else to say um i think that'll be it uh, mauricio can you send us off? Yes, sir. Again, for the uh,
2: ninth time. <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm uploading on Anchor, but also you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and many other options. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, The Viewers Cut. Which
3: musical score are we going out with today? You, got, you gotta, do <laughs> raiders, <Adam. laughs> gotta do Raiders, Adam. Gotta do Raiders.
2: <laughs> Take it away, Adam. And ciao.
3: dump, dump,